Welcome to Humans of Twitter, a podcast where we discover the stories behind the people behind the Twitter accounts. People that are interesting, opinionated, and surprising. I'm your host, Steve Malk, and today I'm speaking with someone who describes themselves as the Venerable Rod Bauer, Archdeacon of the Central Coast, Anglican priest, passionate about a spirituality that honours human integrity. Humans of Twitter is their stories, in their words, in a little more than 140 characters. Please welcome today's edition to the Humans of Twitter list, Father Rod Bauer. Thank you, Steve. Father Rod, thank you for joining us. In social settings, how do you introduce yourself? Uh, Rod. That's enough? Yes, enough. Yes, yes, yes. Unless, unless I'm on the phone, yes. I'll often introduce myself as Father so people know who they're talking to. <laughs> uh, but if they can see me, uh, then I always introduce myself as Rod. Yeah. Do you find that the Father tag or the, the, the title gets you into places that sometimes otherwise you wouldn't? It can sometimes, uh, especially if you're, you're on the phone mm-hmm. and you and because people sometimes know who I am, mm. uh, sometimes it'll, it gets you past the receptionist to the person that you want to talk to. <laughs> <laughs> I have um, uh, also seen, and I'm sure you experience the same thing, particularly in times of crisis, um, that uh, and it's not taking advantage of it. You're legitimately there to, to comfort or care for the people that need it. But going from just being Rod to being Father Rod can be super advantageous in those situations. Yeah, so, and I think partly because... I don't think it's all, that was always the case. I mean, mm-hmm. we went through a, a, a period, I think, in the church where the, the title and the uniform became a bit of a barrier. Yeah. And for a long time, I didn't wear the uniform. Uh, probably took 10 or 15 years, I never wore a clerical collar. Mm. Um, and I've only really started wearing one again in the last uh, two or three years. Oh. And and partially because it, it was kind of the old yes minister syndrome. <laughs> I don't know whether you ever saw this this episode where um, Jim Hacker was being, uh, uh, was going to do a television, um, you know, to camera speech and he and his producer asked him, uh, what, what do you want to wear? And he said, what do you mean, what do I want to wear? So, well, if you're saying something radical, uh, you need to wear a pinstripe suit and, and, and have Regency uh, wallpaper. If yes. you're going to say something dull and boring, you need to wear a Hawaiian shirt and, uh, you know, <laughs> and have you know, flowery wallpaper. And I guess I've, I've um, uh, applied that principle, really, in some ways, because some of the things I'm saying is quite radical. Mm. Uh, so, uh, so I took to dressing rather conservatively again to yeah. uh, to, to balance that up, and and now I think uh, people who, who've got to know me sort of get, got used to me wearing a clerical collar and got used to me having a title, and um, it doesn't seem to be a barrier. In fact, at the moment, it seems to be working as a as a door opener. Yeah. You're right in saying that you look the best air quotes. You do some radical things because. Look, Christendom has had a tough rap, in part of its own making, yes. for for the last while. And the work that you've done, not only just in the community and and caring for and caring about particularly asylum seekers, but the the sign that has become very noteworthy because of the messages that you put on it. Have you found that that is something that? Um, well, obviously, it's open doors, but has that? Have you got any grief over that? Oh, a huge amount of grief. Um, <laughs> uh, we get mercilessly trolled. Mm. We get uh, abusive phone calls, abusive letters, oh, wow. the occasional death threat. 
Wow. Um, I have quite a good relationship with the police station next door. <laughs> um, Which conveniently is just next door. Just next door. And the, the, the superintendent tells me that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm on their Monday morning agenda when they, <laughs> when they have their meeting for the week. <laughs> is Rod still alive? Yes, is, yeah. And so, uh, yeah, I had an enormous amount of grief. Uh, a lot of grief from the extreme right, of course, as mm. you would expect, the Reclaim Australia and United Patriots Front or whoever they are. Um, and a lot of grief from conservative Christians mm. who who think what I am saying is radical, and but ironically haven't really heard what Jesus has had to say. <laughs> so, mm. uh, and and so really, what, what I'm what I'm saying and doing uh, would not have been considered in any way radical in first century Christianity. It would have been considered as normal. Uh, but because Christianity has been uh, domesticated wow, yeah. by often those in power over the last 1,700 years, um, what we call primitive Christianity or early Christianity mm. uh, seems quite radical. Uh, but in fact, this was just the norm. Critics of Christianity, period. Um, like... of which I am one. <laughs> yeah, amen, brother. <laughs> I hear that. Um like to point to some sections of the Bible, particularly the Old Testament, say, oh, but look here, it says these things. How horrible is Christianity? Um, modern, air quotes, Christianity, or, or, or I guess Jesus theology Christianity, is about transforming that and saying we acknowledge this is how it was and Jesus says this is what it is now. Then we come to 2015 Christianity where it's been... I don't want to use the word prostituted, but that's what's going to come out. Changed by the people in power to suit their agendas. How do we reconcile that in 2015? Well, I don't don't know that you try and reconcile it in the sense... If you look at the... the, the, As a a social ethicist, Mm. um, I like to look at um, the, the narrative, which... Really, it, it's the most amazing thing. We, we have in the 66 books of, of what we call the Bible mm. um, a, a, a narrative that covers uh, at least 3,000 years and, uh, and stories that go back even way further than that. Yeah. Uh, and they are the, the most comprehensive study on how human beings get on together ever compiled. Yes, uh, it, it is a longitudinal study of of, of, ma- of biblical proportions. <laughs> if you want to put it that way. Yes. Um, and so, what we learn from that, if we study it in, a, in an intelligent way, uh, is how human beings have interacted, how they've dealt with power issues, for better or for worse, mm. uh, over a very long period of time. Uh, and, and and there's a sense in which that narrative is con- it continues. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and if we if we l- at least try and learn from some of the mistakes that have been made in the past, I, yeah. you know, people say oh, there's some terrible stuff in the yes, there is some really really terrible stuff. Yeah, uh, but that's not the problem. The problem is we don't learn from that terrible stuff, yeah. uh, and we keep repeating things over and over again. And um, and as I I look at that narr- that that uh, that, that meta narrative, which for me is in which I live my life, and I and I reflect. And I try and learn and understand, um, and you apply. You know, some of those situations are easily applied to what happened yesterday. Mm. For then um, uh, the the question is: Do we learn from that? Can we use that to to become wiser human beings? 
and often the, the answer to that is no, we don't do that very well. Given the, the, the current state of play, it's not even a political situation, the factual situation around asylum seekers and how they are treated by um, the various agencies they come into contact with when coming to Australia, um, I don't think it's unreasonable saying it's in a pretty dire state. If we're interested in wanting to, to help see a change around that, what is, what's the best thing that we can be doing? Should we be going to, to rallies? Should we be writing letters to our members of parliament? Should we be going to Nauru and knocking on the door? Or what should we do? Uh, all of the above and more. Um, I think the, the thing that, that most people, most people can't go to Nauru, Everyone can write a letter to a politician. Or, mm. And that's important, not that it, you expect a response, or, but it, it just... If the volume of it lets the pollies know how people as a whole are feeling. Yeah, yeah. Um, go to rallies. Some rallies are more productive than others, <laughs> I'd have to say. Some, I there are some I won't attend mm. because I, I, I'm committed to non-violence, not only in, in action but also in speech mm -hmm. because sometimes speech can be violent and I, I won't be a part of that. And I think what, but what everybody can do um, is, is have considered non-violent conversations with family and friends and, and colleagues. Yes. And when things that are clearly uh, not true um, uh, come up in a conversation is to challenge that in a, in a sensitive way mm -hmm. you know, so when uh, the, the language that we use about people I is incredibly important and so once the the narrative starts to change so we start calling people illegals mm -hmm. uh, if we call people illegals and we believe they've done something illegal then it's okay then to lock them up yeah uh, and 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 that sort of thought process just naturally follows well, of course, the truth is they've done nothing illegal. Yes. Um, it is entirely legal to arrive in a boat, uh, to knock on the door and say, oh, I, want to, um, I want to claim asylum in Australia. That's a totally legal thing to do. Mm -hmm. and, and even just to challenge that, uh, I think, is one of the most important things that people can do. And so when, uh, you know, when you hear the narrative, which I'm grateful is changing yeah. under the new Prime Minister... Um, it, it's, it doesn't quite ring true then. And people say, well, hang about, you know, I, I know that's not true, so what mm. else isn't true? Mm. Uh, and we can start asking those questions. So I think the most powerful thing people can do is, is quietly and peacefully and sensitively challenge the, the narrative. Have you had uh, an opportunity to speak to either the former or current Prime Minister about some of these issues? Uh, I've not spoken personally with either Prime Minister. I have with the, the ministers, of mm. course. Um, I, I am aware that uh, both Mr Abbott, when he was Prime Minister, and Mr Turnbull are, uh, are aware of some of the things I say and do. <laughs> <laughs> so that's two Monday morning meetings? Yeah, yeah so there's another Monday morning meeting. <laughs> Sometimes you know, the, the signs are sort of put up in offices all around Canberra mm. and people even come and get their photo taken. But nice. apparently... Apparently, it's a bit of a thing if you work in in a, in a public servant's office in Canberra. If you've got your photo taken in front of the sign, then it's well, a, that's happening on the way a out. Bit of kudos, apparently. I don't know. I don't, people's strange. People are weird. Um, but yeah, and, and so I am a tiny little cog in a very big wheel, mm. um, but part of the narrative, and that's 
I guess one of the highest roles of of a church is to be part of the conversation of any society and to to try and um, be a productive, you know, non-violent, peaceful, wise part of that conversation. And admittedly, we have not always done that well. Mm. Uh, and we've got to face the past uh, in that and be honest and... and yeah. uh, uh, but also, you know, try and forge a more healthy future. The church hasn't covered itself in glory. It has not. Uh, particularly of late, yes. over things like marriage equality, over yes. the asylum seeker issues. Um, and the abuse issue, of course, yeah, is the big yeah. one for us. How, how can it set that straight? How can it start to reconcile uh, those issues? Uh, by, well, on the abuse uh, mm. issue, of course, we, we have to face face the past. Mm. We've got to be open and honest and transparent. Uh, in my diocese, the Anglican Diocese of Newcastle, we're very fortunate to have a bishop who um, understands that and, and is absolutely committed to transparency, uh, committed to just compensation for when people mm-hmm. have been harmed, uh, and but equally committed to forging a healthy future. Yeah. So, and I think uh, one of the examples of that has been in the um, the issue of speaking with Transfield, mm-hmm. uh, who is a company that runs detention centres, yes. uh, and the the abuse that's gone on. Uh, and because of what the bishop has done in terms of being transparent and and being very committed to 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 the uh, you know, facing the past and. And, and changing the future, uh, he has had the 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 moral authority then to challenge uh, the chairperson of the board of Transfield mm. on these child abuse issues that wow. are going on. In had he not done that, he would have had no moral authority whatsoever. Yeah, uh, and so that's how you that's how you change. That's how you re- regain it by being honest and open, transparent, and and just. And once you do that, uh, people will think, okay. Those people have got some credentials, and mm. we, we might stop and listen to what they have to say. Yeah. It, it sounds really simple when you say it like that, but there's a, a serious amount of cost yes. in that, isn't there? There is a deep well. There's, there's a there's a deep cost across the board, I and mean, there has been a deep cost to the the people who have who have suffered abuse. Yes, so that's where the that's where the, the that's where the main cost is, uh, mm. and so uh, you know we've got nothing to complain about. Honestly, I mean, mm. we, you know, considering the cost that these people have paid, um, you know, we uh, and I, I feel for, you know, those among us who uh, the the bishops who sit day in and day out receiving those stories. That's a yeah. very painful thing to have to do, uh, but nothing compared to what the people have suffered. Um, and you know, healing is a costly thing. Mm. For everybody, and uh, and it's a it's a price that we as a church <clears throat> are not only prepared to pay, uh, but want to pay, because we know it's part of our own healing as well. Uh, and when we have done that, um, I think we will have a um, a regain something of, of what we should yeah. have to offer to the community. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, Ron. Uh, what happened the last time your heart was broken? <laughs> oh, dear. Ah. Oh, um, 
That's this morning. This morning? If you, yeah. Um, and I can't say too much about that at the sure. moment, only to say that I, uh, on that abuse issue, a priest that I knew and worked with uh, and, and respected and admired, I only discovered last night that he had abused oh. some children. And um, yeah. that's horrible. And I'm I'm I am utterly devastated uh, uh, by that news. It's broken my heart. Mm. It really has, and uh, so it's quite raw mm. uh, for me. And I don't even know at this stage what I uh, what I need to do or say or think yeah. uh, about that, uh, because there will no doubt be some people that I have this is a long time ago now, but have known and cared about who have been hurt in some way. So I don't even understand who they are yet or um so that was yeah that was the last time my heart was broken was um, this morning when i read wow. the newspaper yeah. well well i'm so, yeah that's mm. i'm sorry to hear that mm. in the midst of all this where do you well, i guess i know where but i give in how do you find your peace all over the place <laughs> <laughs> um my peace uh, comes from knowing that whatever pain is involved in uh, in my job, mm. uh, which is I just mentioned a classic example of that in in the work I do with um, asylum seekers, people who have been traumatized and locked up and and further abused by on my tax dollar. Mm-hmm. Um, in the midst of, of all of that, I, I know that I'm in the right place. Mm. Um, and, and knowing that I, I, I have a, uh, access to a, a certain kind of peace. Um, and I access, I access that in uh, ways of, you know, through meditation and, and all of those in reflection and contemplation and, yeah. and all of that, I access that through friends and family. Um, home is my uh, peaceful place. Uh, yes. In the maelstrom of the day <laughs> when I go home, you know, uh, and spend some time with my wife and, and, yeah. you know, and on other days with my children and grandchildren, that's, that's my peaceful place. What do they make of Rod the activist? Ah, oh, sometimes... They're proud. Sometimes yeah. they're bewildered. Sometimes they're, sometimes they're worried, <laughs> uh, especially if we're being threatened by sure. other people. They have a high sense of anxiety about uh, what we do. Um, but uh, but generally, I, I, I think they're uh, they're very supportive. They have, of course, I guess I've had some influence in the lives of mm. our children, so they have similar values. Yeah. Um, and so they like to see that something's being done about issues in our society that are important. What's the most dangerous thing that you've done? In terms of physically dangerous? However you wish to read that. (laughs) I think the most dangerous thing I've done two i'll give you two Mm -hmm, Um, one was uh, 
many years ago now, uh, back in 15 years ago, uh, I was uh, uh, an up-and-coming priest. Yes. In that sense, on a bit of a, a fast-track trajectory, if you want to use <laughs> uh, business terms. Uh, and I was the youngest archdeacon appointed in the diocese. Mm-hmm. And um, a, a friend of mine uh, did the wrong thing. Mm. And I went to him and I said, OK, um, uh, you've got to take what's coming to you from the judge uh, and I'll walk with you and we'll get you out the other side of this and we'll help you put your life back together. And uh, the, uh, the bishop at the time said, you, we can't have anything to do with this person. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, hang about. That's, isn't that part of our job? Isn't that part of my job as a priest is yeah. to you know, help people who have got broken lives? And, and the bishop at the time said, well, you know, if that's what you want to do, that's fine, but you can't be part of the senior management of the church. Yeah. And, uh, and I said, oh, fair enough. And so I was sacked. And, Gosh. And um, so that was a danger. Well, in fact, it destroyed what I thought it was a career mm. at the time. Um, and, and has continued to do that. And that's right. Um, I've come to terms with that. So that mm-hmm. was, yeah. Um, I guess physically speaking, um, I'd, I spoke last Christmas mm. um, uh, at the city of Sydney's carol service in the town hall, packed town hall. Yeah. Um, and I had, uh, you know, in the days preceding that, received some fairly credible death threats. And so, you know, but I went ahead and, and uh, uh, standing up there and, of course, you're the, the lights are in your eyes and you can't see mm. anybody and there's balconies and, um, and that was only a couple of days after, of course, the Martin Place yes. tragedy. Um, and I'm standing up there speaking to these 2,000 people and just thinking, you know, is there a little red dot going oh, be here on my, <laughs> on my shirt? And, uh, <laughs> and, you know, you get all paranoid. And so I, I was sort of, you know, waiting. And um, uh, thank goodness nothing happened. And, and I came home and and still going. But, yeah, um, it, it's it's a weird feeling. How's the adrenaline when that's going on? Yeah, it's it's a weird thing. It's a weird thing to think, you know, I might die. Um, and and yeah, and it's hard not to get paranoid. And, oh, I can imagine. And, yeah, and so yeah, there. If you want to know some dangerous <laughs> things, there's a couple Jeez. of dangerous things. And I felt more. I mean, I I walk around some of the homeless spots in. You know, we have a lot of homeless people in Newcastle. Some of them are mentally ill. Some of them are. And that's it's that is really dangerous to do sometimes at mm. night. Um, uh, but I, I never feel I'm in danger. Yeah. You know, I never feel threatened, uh, whereas I actually did on this occasion. I felt quite threatened. Can, I can understand that. Mm. Gosh. Um, what, what Christmas tradition or traditions do you have that you hold dear? It's it's different for me. I I haven't had a Christmas day off for thirty years. <laughs> <laughs> As someone who is married to a former priest's daughter, yes, I hear that. Yes, yeah, and um, 
So my Christmas tradition is to, you know, um, take services on Christmas Eve and mm-hmm. Christmas Day. Uh, I I then go home and go to sleep. As a as a <laughs> yes. chronic introvert, uh, I am on the off the scale introvert. Uh, you know, being out there uh, is incredibly exhausting for me, and uh, so my family haven't seen me on Christmas Day. For, for 30 years I remember other than that church in the other than that church and I um, you know we try and have Christmas a few days after when I'm, I'm recovered I, I, and I made that decision years ago when I was actually working in Sydney mm. and my family were in Newcastle and yes. on Christmas day I, I doing the right thing I would after I'd finished everything uh, drove to Newcastle I went to sleep on the freeway oh and luckily um, woke up <laughs> Just before I hit the wall, oh. and um, and made it there safely. But after that, I said, "No, never again. Yeah. I will." No. Christmas Day is sleep, and so yeah, that's my Christmas tradition. <laughs> Look, and it seems reasonable. I mean, you know, Christmas Eve service, like maybe a midnight service, certainly morning services. That, that there's a lot in that. There's a lot, in it. and I I'm exhausted, and I just need to sleep. So. Uh, yeah, it's a quiet house in my house. I, I like the idea of Christmas a couple of days later, though. Yeah. I could buy into that yeah. just anyway, having yeah. Christmas and then have Christmas again. Yes, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> come to my place you know, on the 29th of December. <laughs> <laughs> it's on at Rod's place. Uh, in 2015, for Christmas, we get the reminder of a story that some of us have heard countless times. For others... It's the reminder of a story that is this quaint little baby and, and the story of a couple of, well, ultimately, asylum seekers in and of themselves. Mm. For others, it's Santa Claus. Mm. What, what is fresh and new about these, this story that fits into a 2015 narrative? It's interesting that um, you know, only two of the four Gospels talk about the, the mm. story. Uh, and there, and both of them tell the story for different reasons in in different ways. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Matthew's gospel, for instance, wants to portray the birth of this child as the new Moses. Mm. Um, um, Luke wants to portray the birth of this child as the as in, in a sense, some sense, the new emperor. Mm. Um, both of which are incredibly subversive stories, mm. and uh, so uh, I I like to. Uh, to understand Christmas as an incredibly subversive thing, yes, uh, and theologically, of course, it is the it is the most subversive uh, divine act ever. Uh, it's God saying, "I'm going to sneak into your life under your radar. Hmm. Uh, I'm going to um, you know, enter the human story as a as a, a nice cute." Little baby, mm. uh, it's the you know, baby is an incredibly subversive thing. So. <laughs> <laughs> I have a, a you know two year old grandson, and you know they they make them cute for a reason. <laughs> they really do. <laughs> so, you know, they get under your radar, <laughs> and um, and and so you know I I think whatever whoever God is. Um, I think God is incredibly subversive. God mm-hmm. gets under our radar, sneaks into our hearts, um, disables our uh, our um, security systems, <laughs> and uh, 
Uh, and, and I guess we, we actually see uh, a real resistance uh, to, uh, to vulnerability sneaking under our radar mm. at the moment. Uh, we have some of the most vulnerable uh, people in the world uh, not sneaking under our radar but actually presenting themselves at our doorsteps. Yeah. And, um, and we are very resistant to that. Uh, and uh, I think we are very, as human beings... Uh, very resistant to the the vulnerability that the the uh, the core message of Christmas calls us mm. uh, to, uh, but while we resist that vulnerability, uh, we deny ourselves something that uh, that all human beings need, yes. um, and that is that is intimacy. Uh, not just physical intimacy, mm. well, that is important, um, but uh, emotional, spiritual uh, intimacy. Uh, and Christmas calls us to, to, to drop down those barriers and to, to connect with, uh, with not only one another but our whole environment. Mm. And it is that when we do that we find healing and wholeness and peace. Uh, that's the message, but it's one that, uh, we resist with uh, with all our might wow. in every way, shape, and form. And that's, I guess, part of our story. We can be really stubborn sometimes, Absolutely. can't we? Absolutely. Yeah. To our own peril uh, in every way. We cut off our nose to spite our face, as the saying goes. What are you going to achieve in the next 12 months? <laughs> I'd like to achieve a holiday at some stage. <laughs> <laughs> or a rest. <laughs> uh, apart from that, um, look, we we will continue to be that tiny little cog in that very big wheel. We will continue to try and change the the way people think about uh, issues. I, I would, if we were to change people's minds mm. enough to then change the politicians' minds yes. uh, about offshore detention. Uh, about uh, how we deal with the world's most vulnerable people, uh, then I'd be pretty, uh, I'd be pretty satisfied with that. I hear you, Father Rod. Thank you for sharing what you have with us yes, today. I, I really appreciate it. Please know you're highly valued, and the stuff that you've shared is very special. Um, I want to thank you for that. Thank you so much, Rod. Obviously, you're on uh, Twitter. Are there any other social media accounts you want to admit to? Uh, Facebook. Yes. <laughs> uh, Anglican Parish of God. I don't have a personal Facebook. I get enough trouble with the parish one. <laughs> get enough trouble. I, I, so I have a, uh, we have the Anglican Parish of Gosford uh, mm. Facebook. Uh, there are uh, a number of fake Anglican Parish of Gosford Facebooks. Are you uh, serious? Uh, don't bother with them. <laughs> so check you got the right one. And um, uh, we've got about 30,000 uh, followers on our, on our Facebook page. And uh, so Twitter and Facebook has, have been an enormous tool for us to have conversations. Um, you know, we have conversations in one way, shape or form with about 1.3 million people a week. Wow. Um, according to the experts, yeah, yeah, you know, the that tell us that how these things multiply. And, yeah. um, That's a huge and which opportunity. Is a, which is a, a huge privilege to have, to, to drop into someone's life or drop into over a million people's lives a week just with a thought uh, or a word. Uh, not all of them agree, of course, mm. um, but it's an enormous privilege to, to be able to have a conversation 
uh, with so many people. So great. That is so great. Wow. Well, thank you again. Uh, This has been Humans of Twitter, and I can confirm that at FR Bauer is indeed human.